Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. This week, I've entitled this message from Matthew chapter 1, Kingdom Cooperation. Kingdom Cooperation. And our text for today finds us in chapter 1, verse 18. We will read 18 down through the end of the chapter. So if you have a physical copy open or a digital copy on, follow along as I read. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, notice this next phrase, it's important, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's Isaiah 7, 14, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. If you're keeping notes, if you're writing some things down, this is the big idea that sits over the top of this text that we will study for the next 35 minutes or so. God's kingdom plan unfolds through kingdom cooperation. God's kingdom plan unfolds through kingdom cooperation. So it is his kingdom. It is his plan. It's not my kingdom, it's not my plan. Those are his, those belong to him. But it's my cooperation in that kingdom plan. And so today is the Super Bowl, right? You guys ready for that? Rocio's ready. She's having a party at her house, you're all invited. (laughs) She's like, I did not make that much food. So today's the Super Bowl. So you got the San Francisco 49ers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. How many of you are rooting for the 49ers? Let me see where you are. Okay, there's definitely at least one in the crowd. How many of you are rooting for the Chiefs? Okay, how many of you are rooting for Taylor Swift? Whoa, Taylor Swift takes it, okay. Understand this about a Super Bowl. There is an elite level of cooperation needed in order to win a Super Bowl. You have a coach or coaches that are calling plays. You have a quarterback who's running the plays. You have players who are executing the plays. All of that has to be cooperative and cohesive. Just imagine with me this afternoon, you're watching the Super Bowl and the Kansas City Chiefs are are at third and goal. They're running the ball and, and they huddle up and the offensive coach calls a running play. And then Patrick Mahomes huddles up as the quarterback, and he calls everybody in and says, okay, we're not going to do a running play, we're going to do a passing play instead. 
And then the offensive line lines up for that play, but instead of lining up for the running play or the passing play, they line up for a field goal kick. Like what is about to happen is absolute chaos. Like who's in charge here? Who's calling the shots? What is going on here? A cohesive cooperation is what wins Super Bowls. Everybody doing the plan. Everybody running the play. Everybody following the directives. And it is kingdom cooperation that advances the mission of God. We will never, if I could put it this way, advance the ball. We, we, will, we will never see God do what he intends to do in and through our church if we are running our own plays, calling our own shots, pursuing our own kingdoms, and not cooperating with the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is his kingdom. It is his plan. We are simply entering into it, cooperating what he has called us to do. So I wonder this morning as we consider this, what is your current state? If you were to assess your life right now, what is your current state of kingdom involvement? I'll give you four possibilities. There is kingdom stagnation. That's just zero involvement. Like no movement, nothing. Then there's kingdom consideration. Maybe that's you this morning. You're still on the sidelines. You're not in the game. You're thinking about it. You're considering it. You're watching others run the plays, but you haven't yet engaged in it. Then there's kingdom obligation. You're running plays and you're involved, but your heart's not in it. You've lost your passion. You're just here because you have to be here, not because you want to be here. And then the fourth is kingdom cooperation. And that's the goal. That's where we're moving this morning. All in, locked in, God's kingdom, God's plan, but we are cooperating with it wholeheartedly, passionately pursuing the presence of God and his will among us. Cooperation is different from just being on the team. Cooperation is certainly very different from running your own plays. Cooperation is, God, this is your kingdom. This is your plan. And so we're going to follow you. We need to be ready for kingdom cooperation. That's the goal. That's what God desires from us this morning. And as you read the text that we read a moment ago, you will probably notice pretty quickly that Joseph is caught off guard. <laughs> Joseph was not expecting the cooperation required of him by God. Joseph is one of these underrated secondary characters in the story of Jesus. But don't mistake the severity of the decision that he's about to make. For Joseph to not cooperate and say, God, you're going this way, I'm going that way. For Joseph to deviate from that plan disrupts the entire kingdom plan of God. No pressure, Joseph. But Joseph, while he may have been caught off guard, is going to respond properly. And he's going to learn that big idea that, king, that God's kingdom plan unfolds through kingdom cooperation. So we don't want to be caught off guard. We want to be ready. So the question that I believe this text will answer is this, how can we be ready for kingdom cooperation? There are, there are three requisites. How can we be ready? Number one, kingdom cooperation means I must, first of all, be ready for the unexpected. If you're going to cooperate with God and his kingdom and his plan, you are going to need to be ready for the unexpected. God just sort of has this record of throwing curveballs. He's going to throw something your way that you just didn't see coming. Look at verse 18 of our text. I love this. 
I love the narratives of the scripture because, I mean, there's just clues being dropped all through here. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place, notice this, in this way. In this way. Sometimes the kingdom plan says this way when your plan says that way. Like, what do you do when God says it's going to be this way? The birth of Jesus Christ took place this way, but I was going that way. So keep reading. Here's the this way of God's kingdom plan. Here's the curveball. When his mother, Jesus' mother Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So God has this unexpected way, the this way. The birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. It's an unexpected way, and it's going to be that a teenage virgin girl gives birth to a child because the Holy Spirit implants that seed in her. It is supernatural. It is of God. There would not be, there would, there would not be a, the, 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 the human line through Joseph. It would be God putting that seed into the woman. He would be born of a virgin. As we read this, this paragraph, we see that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. We don't use that terminology. That's not really something that, that, is, that is a part of our culture today. It was similar to engagement, but much more serious. They had already committed themselves to each other. They, they were already considered husband and wife, even as you read this, and yet they had not come together and consummated the marriage sexually. So this betrothal period, it usually lasted about a year and the husband, Joseph in this case, would, would go away for about a year's time and would prepare a place, a place to live for the, for the bride and the family to be. And so this husband would go away and prepare this place, and then he would come again. And oftentimes in this, in this unexpected, surprise, public retrieval process, would catch away that bride and would take her back to that place that he had prepared and fully consummate that marriage. So they're right in the middle of this betrothal period. As a matter of fact, it was so serious that the only way you could break a betrothal was through divorce. And so now there's this unexpected, oh, by the way, Mary's with child and it's of the Holy Spirit. The this way of God's kingdom plan was not the way of Joseph. God has this record of doing unexpected, even supernatural things. Remember, we talked about the themes of the book of Matthew. One of the themes is that, is that this is the story of Israel. So let me ask you, can you think of another woman in Israel's history who gave birth to a child in a pretty unexpected, almost supernatural way? How about Sarah? Sarah, the matriarch of the Jewish people. Sarah was married to Abraham. We studied him some last week. God gave a promise that through Abraham, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. Only there's a pretty significant problem. Abraham's getting pretty old. And, and, and Sarah is just right behind him. And so Abraham's getting older and older, but God comes to Abraham and he says, your wife, Sarah, is going to give birth to a child through you, but it's going to be in her 90s. Ladies, can you imagine? That baby shower? Sarah with all her 90-year-old friends at the retirement village, bobbing for binkies. A little bit unexpected, God. You got, you got like a better plan than this? You got a more normal plan than this? When we decide that we're going to cooperate, kingdom cooperation, God, we're doing it your way. Just be ready for God to do some unexpected things. 
So God's unexpected ways that a child is going to be born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. Well, what's Joseph's response to that? Ah, this isn't going to work. God's way is not my way. At, at the time, he didn't realize just how much it was God's way. But Joseph's like, this isn't going to work. This is not my way. So Mary, our text says, was found to be with child. That doesn't mean she was hiding the pregnancy. It just means that pregnancy sort of has this natural way of making itself more and more obvious over time. She was found to be with child. We, we know from Luke's account that Mary knew before the, before the pregnancy that this was going to happen. So evidently, she wasn't completely sharing it with Joseph, or maybe Joseph just wasn't fully believing it at the time. So look at verse 19. This is Joseph's plan. Her husband Joseph, being a just man, that means he was devoted to the Jewish law, and unwilling to put her to shame, so that means he's a merciful man, resolved to divorce her quietly. He had two options according to the Torah, the Jewish law. He could either divorce her publicly, that would have brought a lot of attention to it, or he could divorce her in front of two witnesses. And he was choosing the latter, the two witnesses. But still, Mary and Joseph lived in a small town. I don't know if you know anything about small towns, but they tend to have this culture about them that your business is everybody else's business. I remember the first time I interacted with small town culture. I'm from a suburb of Philadelphia, so hundreds of thousands of people. Amy is from Pleasantville, Iowa, 1,500 people. Small town culture. So we were engaged, and I went to visit her and her family. And one Friday night, you know, what do you do in a small town? You go to the hottest place in town, the checkerboard restaurant in downtown Pleasantville. Folks, you don't understand how important this place is. People drive like an hour to come to checkerboard for their onion rings. So here we were sitting in checkerboard restaurant, eating some food, and some random people walk in the front doors, pretty busy. I mean, it was a Friday night, small town, so everybody's there, I guess. Some people walk in the front door. They come to our table and say, hey, guys, I just wanted to say hi. I saw your car out front. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> everybody knows everybody based on the car that they drive, and they just sort of stop into the checkerboard restaurant on a Friday night for no other reason other than to say hi? That's just kind of small town culture. So you can imagine Mary and Joseph in small town culture. Now all of a sudden rumors are starting to spread, maybe about Mary and her, just the way that she's loose with the boys apparently. And Joseph, well, I thought he was devout. I thought he, knew the, I thought he knew the law, but yet he's staying with this woman. So the rumors are starting to spread. People are starting to talk. So Joseph says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the best thing I know to do. For my sake, I'm going to divorce her. For her sake, I'm going to divorce her. For my sake, I'm going to do it privately. I'm just going to put her away. I wonder this morning, how do you respond to God's unexpected interruptions? When God throws you one of those curveballs, something that you just did not expect, you could not have anticipated. When God's this way is not your way. The late Martin Luther King Jr. called these costly interruptions. Costly interruptions. Listen to this quote. I'll put it up on the screen for you. The major problem of life, he said, was learning how to handle the costly interruptions. The door that slams shut, the plan that got sidetracked, the marriage that failed, or that lovely poem that didn't get written because someone knocked on the door. And the irony of this quote is as the story goes, it was part of a sermon that was in his briefcase on the day he was assassinated that he never got to preach. The costly interruptions. How do we respond 
when something comes into our life, when something comes our way that we could have never seen coming, do we ignore it? Do we just pretend that it'll go away? Do we defy it? Do we say, God, I'm not going your way, I'm going my way? Or do we embrace it and do we trust and do we believe the heart of our good Father that he will not bring something into our life that he did not ordain and allow and that he will not also see us through? When you choose to cooperate in God's kingdom plan, his unexpected twists and turns should become less and less surprising and more and more expected. Kingdom cooperation means I must be ready for the unexpected. Number two, kingdom cooperation means I must be ready for God to change my plans. Not only is he going to throw some curveballs, but then he's going to say, hey, I want, you to, I want you to take what I'm throwing at you and I want you to go with it. Look at verse 20. But as he, Joseph, as he considered these things, so here he is, he's in the middle of this tough decision. He's in this moment of, do I believe Mary and stay with her? Do I believe Mary but still divorce her? Or do I not believe Mary and put her away because she's been unfaithful and she's just lying to me about this whole Holy Spirit stuff? He's right in the middle of that decision. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God's going to get up in Joseph's face. God's just got this way. He knows how to get our attention, doesn't he? Like he may or may not come in a dream, but he knows how to get your attention. Parents, when, you're, when your kids were younger and you were doing something and distracted, did they, did they ever climb up on your lap and like put their hands on your face like this and like force you to look at them and say, look at me. Like they knew you were doing something else. They knew you were distracted, distracted and they wanted to get your attention. That's what God is doing. He's getting all up in Joseph's face and saying, Joseph, look at me. I've got something I need to tell you. And he sends this angel. This angel is a messenger with a word from God for him. And he comes through this dream. And he has two plan-changing directives for Joseph. The first is this, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. That was not Joseph's plan. He was going to put her away privately. And the angel, the messenger from God says, you need to keep that marriage. You need to stay with her. You need to, you need to go through with this. You need to step up to the plate. That phrase, do not fear, has this idea of do not shrink back. Don't step away from, from what's in front of you. Don't step away from this plan that is unexpected, but that God is unfolding in front of you. And then he says something very significant in verse 20. He calls him Joseph, son of David. Now, if you were here last week, when we studied that genealogy, you should understand the significance of David. David was the first king. David was the king that God promised through David. An eternal king would come and establish an eternal kingdom. And that every king from David down through the line was a link in the chain of that genealogy until ultimately it came to Joseph. And we tracked that last week. Joseph is in the line of the kings from David. So he reminds him of that. He's, he's, he's reminding him of that promise to David that Joseph is in line with. And so now it's Joseph's responsibility to adopt Jesus into this family. Jesus was not Joseph's son. 
He was not naturally born, but through adoption, Jesus would become the son of Joseph, and with that adoption would receive all of the rights and all of the privileges of a naturally born son. And so, Joseph, do not shrink back from this. Receive Mary and adopt Jesus into your family. By adopting Jesus, Jesus is now connected to Joseph, which connects Jesus to David, which connects Jesus to the promise, which allows Jesus to be the fulfillment of that promise. Do you understand the significance of what God is asking of Joseph right now? And so God changes his plan. And if you're listening carefully, you will hear gospel undertones that Joseph's obedience to God would allow Jesus to be adopted into Joseph's family. And through Jesus' obedience to God, you and I can now be adopted into God's family. And with that adoption, we have all of the rights and all the privileges of the naturally born son, Christ. And then what the angel does is reassures him that that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Oh, by the way, Mary's not lying. So that's the first directive. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And then the second directive is name the child Jesus. It was the prerogative of the parents to name the children what they wanted. And in most cases, they would name the firstborn son after the father. So under normal circumstances, Joseph would have named this child Joseph the angel says, you can't do that. We're not going with your plan this time, Joseph. We're going to change that plan, go with God's plan. You need to name him Jesus, which the Hebrew version of that is Joshua, Yeshua, which means the God who saves. And he defines Jesus' name right in verse 21, for he will save his people from their sins. In his name, we find his mission. The mission of Jesus was to come and to save those of us who are fallen away and broken in our sin that we would become the people of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and through his work on the cross alone. And then there's this dot connect in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So there is a massive change of plans for Joshua right here, or for Joseph rather. Joseph, this was not your way, this was not your plan, but this is God's plan, and so it's time to make some changes. As you make your plans, always make your plans in pencil, never make them in pen. Remember in high school math class? You're doing your math work, what did your teacher always tell you? Always do your math work in pencil. Don't do it in pen, why? Because you're not, at good, you're not as good at math as you think you are. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to need to flip that pencil over <clears throat> and use the other side. Use that eraser. <clears throat> and erase that work. And redo that work. And if I could offer to all of us this morning, kindly and succinctly, you and I are not as good at making plans for our life as we think we are. Make your plans. But do them in pencil. So that when God comes along and says, your plan is really cute, your plan is really great, your plan is really put together, it looks really good on paper, but it's not my plan for your life. Why don't you erase that and try this instead? If we are going to be people who live in cooperation with the kingdom that God is unfolding in front of us, we must be people who are willing to change our plans according to his will. 
This is going to require that we live with a posture of surrender, a posture where we keep our hands open before God, not tight-fisted, not closed, not held closely to ourselves. like, this is my plan, God. Don't touch this. God's really good at coming in and just kind of disrupting our best laid plans, isn't he? But we need to keep our hands open before him. So make your plans and then submit your plans and then adjust your plans. Make the plans. Do it in pencil. Submit it to God. Let him approve. Let him see it. And then when he says, hey, this is good, but this needs to change, then be willing to adjust those plans. It's fascinating to me as I read this, and even last week as we were studying the line of kings and the, the, the miss after miss after miss of those kings, it's fascinating to consider the interplay between God's perfect predetermined plan and man's dynamic free will. That God is so big and he's so great and he's so in control that it does not scare him in any way to allow us the freedom to choose and the freedom to make decisions because his plan is not going to be deterred. It's not going to be sidetracked. And so while God can accomplish his kingdom plan in spite of us, it's much better to allow him to accomplish it in partnership with us. And so if you're going to choose to cooperate with God's kingdom plan, be sure to write your own plans in pencil. And then be ready when he makes changes and says you need to erase this and rewrite it this way. By the way, that's okay to do. Don't beat yourself up because you made a decision and it was the wrong decision. Don't beat yourself up because you made some mistakes. Be grateful for a God who is kind and gracious to come along and show up and get right in your face and say, let's not do it that way. Let's do it this way. He's good and he's kind and he's gracious. Kingdom cooperation means I must be ready for the unexpected. It, must, it means I must be ready for God to change my plans. And then number three this morning, it means that I must be ready to live in simple obedience. I love these last two verses. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did, when he woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. I mean, to a T, he does exactly what the angel told him to do in that dream. He doesn't argue. He doesn't negotiate. He doesn't try to get back a little bit of his plan mixed in with God's plan. He just does exactly what he is told. Joseph chooses cooperation by choosing simple obedience. He stayed committed to Mary. He went through with the betrothal. He married her. And then there's this, this Old Testament euphemism. He knew her not. There was no sexual activity until after that baby was born. And then he named him Jesus. Just exactly what he was told to do. I want to offer to you this morning that simple obedience does not necessarily mean easy obedience. We see a word like simple and we're just like, okay, that means I'm not going to have to put much effort into it. Simple just simply means clear. God made it very clear. Comes by way of a dream through an angel, says, stay committed to Mary and name him Jesus. That's pretty simple. But simple does not always mean easy and so Joseph is going to have to go do the hard thing of staying committed to Mary, marrying her, and naming this child Jesus. There would be, remember the small town thing? There's still going to be cultural fallout for this. There will be cultural fallout for simple obedience to Christ. 
Can I offer to us this morning that when you and I make the decision to align our life with the will of God, there will be cultural fallout for it. Teenager this morning, when you live your life at your high school and you walk with Jesus and you shine as a light for him, college student, when you go to ASU or when you, when you go to GCU and you, you are in your class and you're living for Jesus, young adult, married couple, whoever you might be this morning, when you say, I'm going to live my life for Christ, the world is not lining up to applaud you for that. As a matter of fact, it might be quite the opposite. There will be pushback. There will be resistance. There may even be forms of persecution because of your faith in Jesus and your decision to walk with Christ. Some of you in this room have made a decision to walk with Jesus and in, and in making that decision to trust in Christ, you were turning away from a, a religious system that you were raised in. And you know this more than others might know this. The decision to walk with Jesus and to follow him in obedience, there will be fallout for it. Simple does not always mean easy. There will be some hard days ahead. There will be some challenges that you will have to face. There will be some moments of desperation. There will be times when you need to get on your face and get on your knees before God and you need to call others into prayer with you and you need to battle through the hard season. But God will simply and clearly let you know, this is what I need you to do. Walk in faith. Simple obedience. Kingdom cooperation is not complicated. Just obey God's voice. What has he spoken? Do it. That's it. Many of you know Carl Block. Carl and Audrey are back here. Carl is one of our deacons. He serves here at City Point Church. And this past week, we were having a meeting with our deacons, and Carl was there, and he shared a story. And it was just the perfect story for this point. So I said, Carl, can I share that? He said, sure. He said, just don't, don't embellish it. Don't, don't make me look better or worse than I really am. So here's the story. So Carl shared this story with us. He was out walking the other day in the morning, like he normally does. And as he walks, he, he likes to pray and just kind of really stay connected to God in those moments. Maybe there's somebody God wants him to talk to, or maybe there's a neighbor he wants him to pray over, or maybe there's something God wants him to do. And so he's walking and he's praying and he's having that communion with God. And he comes across an empty 7-Eleven big gulp cup. And he senses in his spirit that still small voice from God say, Carl, pick up the cup, throw it away. And Carl, Carl kind of has this conversation with God. He says, well, God, I don't really want to carry that big gulp cup for this entire walk. And God whispers back, when you go get up and around that corner, there's going to be a trash can. Carl says, okay. So he picks up the big gulp. Keeps walking down the street, turns the corner. Sure enough, there's a trash can. He throws it away. Thought, oh, okay. That was kind of cool. It's like the time that God told the, or Jesus told the disciples to go and find that donkey and it'll be there. And when you find it, you'll know you're there. Like, yeah, it's just like that. God said it. It was there. And well, as Carl continues to walk, God continues to whisper to him, pick up that trash, pick up that trash, pick up that trash. And after a little while, Carl's just like, you know what, God, I'm not really sure. What's the whole point of this? Like, nobody's here. Nobody's out this morning. Nobody's impressed by this. Nobody's seeing me. Like, what's, what's, the, what's the deal? Why, why do you want me to keep doing this? And just about that time, he reached down to pick up another piece of trash, and it was this. I'm telling you, when God wants to speak to you, he makes it very simple. 
if you know Carl, Carl has a very healthy sense of humor, and I think God was just having a good time with him that morning. You know, God might, God might be telling you to pick up the trash, and you might not know why, and it might just be because he said, pick up the trash. Listen, if God can't trust us with the trash, how's he going to trust us with the treasure? Right? If God can't trust you with those seemingly insignificant, simple responses of obedience, how's he going to be able to trust you when it's time to do those big things? Those really hard things, those really difficult things. Maybe God just wants you to do it just to show that you're being obedient to him. So thank you, Carl. Wonderful story. Thank you for being obedient to the Lord. He kept the magnet. He's got it there just as a reminder that God wants him to pick up the trash. <laughs> Let me tell you this morning, oftentimes we, we overcomplicate obedience. We overcomplicate it. I'm going to give you four ways that we overcomplicate obedience. Here's an outline within an outline for all my, for all my points people. You love points. Here's some, here's some extra points for you. It's going to look like this. We overcomplicate obedience when. I'm going to give you two that are theological and two that are practical. Here's how we overcomplicate it. Number one, we overcomplicate obedience when we make obedience legalistic. If you're newer to church and you're not sure what that word legalistic means, it just means we're adding something to simple faith in Jesus. We're adding something where God says there shouldn't be anything added. When we, when we turn obedience into this legalistic, like if I do more for God, I'll get more from God. If I do more for God, I'll be more loved by God. I'll be more accepted by God. And if I fail to do more for God, then he's going to love somebody else more than he loves me. You are overcomplicating obedience. You are making obedience what it was never intended to be. The second is this. We overcomplicate obedience when we add unnecessary man-made rules to God's commands. Some of us grew up in cultures like this, in church cultures, sub-church cultures like this, where you weren't sure on any given day, am I actually obeying God or am I just obeying the pastor? Am I obeying God in this or am I just obeying some religious rituals or some expectations that are placed upon me? When we are adding man-made rules that God never intended, we are overcomplicating obedience. Jesus said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Don't do that. You are overcomplicating simple obedience. So those two are theological. When we make it legalistic and when we add man-made rules to it, but the, the next two are practical, we overcomplicate obedience when, number three, we, we always expect the extraordinary and quickly overlook the ordinary. We want some sensational thing like God I will, you know, if God came to you and said, I want you to sell everything you have and, and move to China and be a missionary for me. We're like waiting for that. But we're not willing to, to hear God when he says, I want you to go to your neighbor who's been in the hospital and make him a, a meal. We'll go around the world, but we won't, we won't go across the street. We're looking for the extraordinary. We're looking for the sensational. We're looking for the big. We're looking for the magnificent. And God says, I just want you to pick up some trash on your morning walk. Like, I don't know about that, God. Give me something. Give me something a little bit bigger than that. Give me something a little more exciting than that. We overcomplicate obedience when we always expect the extraordinary. Let me say this. You probably won't hear most pastors say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Obedience is often boring. It is. I was talking to Amy about this this week. I was like, am I right by saying that? Is that wrong? Sometimes you just kind of wake up, you spend time with Jesus, you love your family, you raise your kids, you go to work, you love your neighbor, you serve the poor, 
It's just kind of ordinary. It's just kind of everyday stuff. This is not even really Instagrammable most of the time, right? We're looking for something flashy. We're looking for something big. And God's just saying, would you just kind of do the, the boring, routine, ordinary obedience? Just walk with me every day, everywhere you go. Let's just keep this conversation open. We overcomplicate obedience when we always expect the extraordinary and quickly overlook the ordinary. And then number four, we overcomplicate obedience when we want the next command, but never obey the last command. We're like, God, you're, you're, you're being silent. You're being quiet. You're not telling me what I'm supposed to do. What am I supposed to do next? And God's like, well, I told you what you were supposed to do. You just haven't done it yet. And maybe the last thing he told us to do was one of those hard things. <laughs> One of those things that we weren't super comfortable doing, but God's saying, I'll give you the next after you do the last. Don't keep asking for the next if you haven't been faithful to the last thing he told you to do. It's simple obedience. When we choose to cooperate with God's kingdom plan, be ready to pick up the trash. Be ready to do whatever he says to do. Just live your life simply following his voice. So here's that big idea. God's kingdom plan unfolds through kingdom cooperation. Joseph's going to learn that. By the way, he's going to go with it. It's going to turn out okay. He's going to let God change his plans. He's going to receive the unexpected. And he's going to walk in simple obedience, verses 24 and 25. But how about you? How about me? What, what, is, our, what is our current state of kingdom involvement? I want to put those four up on the screen for you. I mentioned it at the beginning. But here are those four. Where are you currently right now? Are you at kingdom stagnation? There's just zero movement. There's just nothing going on in your life for God. Are you at kingdom consideration? You're, you're thinking about it, but you're still definitely on the sidelines. Are you at kingdom obligation? You're going through the motions. I mean, you're here. You know you're supposed to be here, so you're here. You don't want somebody to call you or text you this afternoon and say, where were you? So you're here, but your heart's not really in it. Or you're at that fourth that number four, are you at kingdom cooperation? I think we know where the king wants us to be this morning. The king wants us to be fully engaged in cooperating with his plan and his mission. We need to be ready for that. Be ready for the unexpected. When God throws a curveball, be ready for God to change your plans. So always use pencil. And be ready to live in simple obedience, just like Joseph, just like Carl, just like Jesus. Simple obedience. Well, we want to learn to live this morning, so I've got three questions I want to give to you as we make application and trust God to bring this scripture to bear on our hearts this morning. My first question is this, have you been adopted into God's family? It's through Joseph's obedience that Jesus would have been adopted into the line of the kings. And it's through Jesus' obedience that you can be adopted into the line of the Father that you now can have a personal relationship with God, not because you sat in a church on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., but because you put faith in Jesus. And again, it's simple. Simple obedience, simple faith, trusting that what Christ did on the cross of Calvary was for you. You could not save yourself. No amount of good works, no amount of spirituality, no amount of religion, no amount of doing just the right things and avoiding all of the wrong things will get you into the presence of God. Only Jesus can bring you into the presence of God. Have you put faith in Christ today? My second question is this, where in your life do you need to cooperate with God's kingdom plan? 
Is there something unexpected that you need to embrace that God has sent your way? Is God changing some of your plans and you need to surrender? Or is there a matter of simple obedience and you've just been putting it off? Where do you need to cooperate in your life? Let the Spirit of God reveal that to you and then do it. Simple obedience. And then number three, who else in your life would benefit from your kingdom cooperation? See, it's not just about you and me. Our cooperation in God's kingdom plan affects other people. If you've got children, it's going to influence them. If you have grandchildren, it's going to influence them. You have friends, neighbors, it should start to influence them. Do you know some unbelievers? Are, you, are, are there some people in your life that have not yet put faith in Jesus? It should ultimately influence them. It, it extends beyond us. As we live in obedience and cooperation with God and his kingdom, it starts to spread to the people around us. Your obedience does not just affect you. So understand that as you walk with Jesus this week, there are other people who are watching, other people who are listening, other people who are seeing the life that you live. And as you walk in cooperation with Christ, they see that and it influences them. God's kingdom plan unfolds. It's his kingdom, it's his plan, but it's through our cooperation. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you once again for another paragraph and another truth from your word that your spirit has written for us today. God, I pray that if there's somebody in the room that has not yet put faith in Christ, I pray that they would do that today that they would understand that Jesus is the name above every other name, that it's only through faith in you that they can have an eternal relationship with God. For those of us who've put faith in you, may we, may we not overcomplicate what you have meant to be very simple, that we just walk in step with your spirit, that we walk in obedience with you day after day, when that means unexpected things come or when that means that you have to change some plans that we were really excited about, whatever it might mean, we trust you and we obey you and we follow you. So Lord, have your will in this room. Have your will in each of our lives. And we'll thank you for what you do and we pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.